Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 270 with Michael Stone of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of this podcast coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. So today's guest, uh, his name's Michael Stone and he's a founder of a company called Beanstalk. Now this guy is the guy when it comes to brand licensing. Now, the reason I wanted to have him on the show is because it's something different, something that we've never talked about. And licensing can be a really, really powerful way to grow your brand, generate more sales, and and really kind of optimize and, and take advantage of the asset that you've created, which is your company. Now, depending on what stage you're at, this will be a very, very valuable interview for you. Um, so Michael's worked with companies like P&G, Coca-Cola, AT&T, um, like, you know, all these big companies, but he's worked with some other like interesting brands as well, or people, which is really, really fascinating. So I'm not going to ramble anymore. I'll let Michael take it from here. But if you guys are enjoying the Founder podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you guys are listening. It helps us more than you can imagine. And share this podcast with a friend. I know you must have friends that are founders or entrepreneurs or or wanting to start a business or perhaps they've already started a business or they're scaling a business or trying to grow it. Please do share this with them because 
our mission at Founder is to build a household name, entrepreneurial brand that helps tens of millions of people every single week with our content. And we can't do that unless you help spread the word. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. My first question to everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Well, that's a great question, actually. Uh, and, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by the famous philosopher Joseph Campbell. He said, if you can see your path laid out in front of you step by step, you know it's not your path. Your own path you make with every step you take, that's why it's your path. And that's kind of what happened to me. Uh, I started out in a completely different direction from where I ended. And when I speak to young people, because I've been around a while, I often tell them, you know, don't think you know where you're headed because you're going to find that the path has many twists and turns and you can't see around the bend. And, and that's what happened to me. I started out wanting to be a lawyer, uh, a legal aid lawyer. I mean, I am a lawyer and I, I saw myself in a career as a legal aid lawyer and ended up as a licensing agent. And, uh, I was I, I I didn't get the job. I created the job out of whole cloth. I definitely was not qualified for the job. I wasn't ready to run a company or be a CEO. I didn't know anything about it. And I learned on the job. I didn't go to business school. I went to law school. And so uh, my first job just I you know I created it. Uh, my and in this business, you know, the first job I had was as a lawyer, and I went out and applied applied for jobs and got a job. Uh, but I, I, I wanted in the end to, to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to own my own business. Uh, I wanted to be a pioneer in an industry where I thought I could make a difference and, and make a change, uh, in the way that businesses operated in that industry. And so I ultimately find my, found my way into licensing. Yeah, I see. So, um, you're a lawyer by trade, um, like, uh, so was, was Beanstalk your first company? Uh, Beanstalk was, yeah, pretty much the first company, uh, that I founded. Uh, I did it with a partner at the time, um, to be devoted to at the time, corporate brand licensing, you know, licensing the intellectual property of major corporations onto other products for which they would receive royalties and things like that. It was, it was an area of licensing that was not particularly uh, well formed at the time. So we saw we saw uh, an entryway there. We saw a door there uh, that not too many people had walked through. There was a lot of entertainment licensing at the time. I'm talking about the mid 1980s or early 1990s. There was a lot of entertainment licensing, motion picture licensing, television licensing, character licensing, all of that. There wasn't a lot of licensing of famous corporate brands like the Coca-Cola company and Harley Davidson. And that's where we saw, that's where we saw white space. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, like, like how did you come up with the idea if it was fairly foreign at the time, of, like this concept of licensing big brands? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't completely new. I mean, some companies had been doing it, so it was out there, but it wasn't being done there weren't any agencies devoted to doing it that to doing that. Uh, Coca-Cola, I use them as an example all the time. They had been in 
in, in they had been licensing their brand since sort of the mid late 1970s and they really did it well we ended up working with them and i learned a lot from coca-cola over the years uh but you know looking uh, licensing is about following the fame so anything that has fame is a potential licensing uh property and these corporations like coca-cola and harley davidson and all of the brands at procter and gamble and so many others have an enormous amount of fame and a large consumer base. So our, our thought was create an agency that can actually serve the interests of so many of these famous corporations and develop licensing programs for them. It was sort of a new concept at the time to have an agency devoted to this. Yeah, interesting. So can you give me um, just, a, and, and also for the audience, just kind of a, a bit of a fast forward. So, so you started the company. It sounds like twenty five years ago, thirty years ago. Yeah, about. Yeah, about. And I, I probably would have been a an internet startup company uh, if the internet was around back then. You know, <laughs> this was this was before Apple and Google and Facebook and and personal computers. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah. so we went in another direction. <laughs> uh, wow, that's crazy and. Um, can you give us kind of a, an idea for the audience how much traction and, and where you guys are at now? Just fast forward, you know, what what if you've got a, you know, hard work, great idea, great product, great service, what and, and obviously an insane focus, like what does that look like now? Well, we are probably one of the largest licensing agencies in the world right now. Beanstalk is the name of the company. And. Uh, we're owned, we're majority owned by Omnicom, the marketing communications holding company, $16 billion holding company. And we operate across all sorts of disciplines. We still specialize in corporate brand licensing. Procter & Gamble is our largest client. Uh, but we also do consulting work. We also represent entertainment brands. We represent video game brands. Uh, we represent celebrities. And uh, so it's because we're, we're in offices in London, New York, Miami, Cincinnati and Asia. So it's, it's become a, a big and very, very well-known company. Uh, in 2018, we were responsible for over seven billion dollars in retail sales of licensed product. Yeah. Wow. So it's grown. It's grown. It's gone a long way from, you know, sitting around a kitchen table and trying to build a business. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. you, you, you mentioned, you know, I think you mentioned that, you know, your audiences are generally entrepreneurs and, you know, entrepreneurism is, is great. It's not for everybody. I, I know a lot of people who uh, came up the ranks with me and went to business school and got jobs at big corporations and rose to the very top of the ladder and, you know, made a fortune. Uh, so, there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a good corporate citizen and working for a company and, and paying your dues. But I'm, being an entrepreneur was what I was interested in. And I don't know if anybody that you speak to ever talks about the definition of an entrepreneur, but someone once told me what the definition was to them. And I've never forgotten it because it is it is what I believe that an entrepreneur engages in the relentless pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources currently controlled. And if you break that down, it's 
it is exactly what being an entrepreneur is, is, is about. You have to see an opportunity, you have to pursue it relentlessly, and you have to be completely oblivious of the lack of resources that you have to win. And, and that's what it's all about. And it's a, it's a 24 seven, uh, it's a 24 seven project being an entrepreneur. <laughs> mm. um, it's, it's been a ride. It's been a great ride for me. Yeah. So, um, it, it sounds like the, that, uh, you guys, um, uh, sold, um, the company at, at some point in time. Yeah, we sold the business. The, the business was sold to Omnicom in 2005, the majority. Yes. They're the majority owner. I still own a minority of the business. So we've been part of Omnicom for almost 15 years, I guess. Yeah, okay, wow. So one thing that strikes me is your level of focus. You know, usually a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, especially when they've been doing things for as long as you have a one company um, they get bored or they have this what's called shiny object syndrome and they want to move on to the next thing and the next thing and uh, like what you, sh- what you described, that relentless um, pursuit and, and the, the, the chasing of opportunity. Well, not so much chasing, but yeah, like always new opportunities, right? Every, once you have it in you, everywhere you look, there's a problem to be solved, how have, you yes. ma- how have you maintained that, like that, that level of focus? Well, you know, my wife likes to tell me all the time. She says, you've been doing the same thing for, you know, 25 years. Don't you want to do something different? And there is something to be said about that. You know, I can see how she thinks I've been doing the same thing for 25 years. But I don't feel like I've been doing the same thing for 25 years. The way I've maintained my level of interest is to continue to evolve and look at the business and see new things and ask, continuing to ask questions of myself as the business grows. So I ask questions like, how is our industry viewed? What are the negatives? What are the stereotypes? How have they changed? How is it viewed now as compared to the past? How is our industry viewed by smart clients? Uh, how have their expectations changed? How how are the tactics changed? You know, we operate in the marketing and retail environment. Licensing is a marketing tool, but it's also ultimately engaged in selling product. And the marketing and retail environment right now is changing at such an accelerated pace. There's so much to learn. There's so many new things uh, to get involved in, uh, in marketing and in retail. And we touch all of those fields. So, it, it, there's always there's always things to learn. There's always time for discovery. Uh, and there's always, for me, it's always been a time to move from one model of licensing to the next and one model of running a business to the next. Look, I didn't know anything about, about building a culture in a company or how to retain and satisfy talent until we became part of Omnicom. And I learned all of that through their you know, management training programs. That was a big, big jolt of a, a big movement for me in, the, in, in my career when I became, when we became part of Omnicom. I started learning so much. And then two or three years ago, I decided that, you know, I was getting a little tired being the CEO. So I turned the CEO reins over to, you know, a longtime colleague of mine, 
20-year colleague of mine here at the agency, and I moved into a new role that allowed me to grow even further. Uh, I spent the next two years after I turned over the CEO reins writing writing a book on licensing called The Power of Licensing, Harnessing Brand Equity, which has pretty much become in a very short period of time, it was published last year, the Bible for anybody interested in brand licensing. And that was such a journey of discovery for me, writing the book. I learned so much. You know, I remember talking to the publisher before I started writing and I asked him, how long should the book be? And he said, well, a good business book is 220 pages. And I nodded said, great, no problem. But in my head, I thought, do I really have 220 pages worth of stuff to say? And once I got into it, I wrote a 350 page book and, and could have kept going. Uh, so the way I've stayed sort of focused and interested and productive is to continue to learn and discover new things and to teach. You know, I'm at the point of my career where I can do a lot of teaching, not both formal teaching and informal teaching. And so it's, it's, you know, your career can evolve. You can continue to do sort of the same thing as my wife thinks I've been doing. But as I try to explain to her, uh, you can, you can evolve your career. And that's what I've done as this business has evolved. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's quite rare and it's, it's, uh, something to be admired, I believe. Well, I hope so because there's no, I, I can't, I can't change course now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could if you wanted. You could start something else, right? I guess so. I don't know if I have the energy for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole different journey, hey. I mean, look, it's 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 uh, you know, you run a business like this, you start a business like this, and I, as I said before, you be bit, be prepared for a roller coaster. I mean, there are ups and downs, and it's a twenty four seven. Uh, project. You know, you're thinking about this business all the time, all the time uh, on weekends, uh, when you're at parties, when you're supposed to be listening to other people talk about, you know, their vacations, you're thinking about the business. So it's uh, it's 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 a roller coaster, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. So talk to me like um, let's like let's just start things off because I, I you, you know you're obviously a master and you've been in this space for a long time around licensing how do you know when your brand qualifies to be to be licensed like you talk about fame but fame is hard to measure right yeah uh, that's a really interesting question and it's a good question because and it's one that we struggle with all the time you know we you, you got to have fame. There's got to be fame, and 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 the brand has to have enough fame among a large enough group of consumers to make to make it worthwhile for licensing. So first, you have to have fame among a large enough group of consumers. That's number one. And then number two, it has to the brand has to have opportunities in product category in aligned product categories that will that will generate enough volume of business. So for example, Citibank, you know, is a very famous brand in the United States, but it's not a brand for licensing because although most consumers know Citibank and have heard of Citibank and know what it is, there aren't product categories that that brand can be extended into that really will generate enough volume to make sense for Citibank to engage in licensing. Uh, so when you're looking at corporate brand names, you're looking at the fame to a large consumer group, 
uh, and you're looking at the product categories that they can enter into. You know, this it's the same analysis for entertainment brands or for celebrity brands. You know, and we've worked on all of that. Uh, I just noticed yesterday that Lady Gaga has announced that she's doing a cosmetics line exclusively uh, on uh, at Amazon. It makes enormous sense to me. I mean, she hits all of the metrics for a successful cosmetics launch on Amazon. She's famous. Everybody knows her. She's well known for her use of cosmetics and facial makeup. Uh, she has a lot of credibility with consumers. Um, she has staying power. She's putting a lot of time commitment into it. She's hired a lot of people to work on this. And for Amazon, it allows them to remain relevant with a large consumer base and attract, you know, many of her fans to their to their website. So, you know, that's an example of a, a celebrity. Uh, a celebrity brand, and I'm not sure if she's quite a brand yet, but you know that's that's the, that's the example of a celebrity brand launching and licensing. So it's fame, it's fame among a large group of consumers, the right product category that makes sense for a brand, and uh, the volume opportunities. You know, you've got to be able to sell a lot of product for it to make sense. Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentorship, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash Founder Plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now let's jump back in the show. Mm, so talk me to, through the process. Like, you know, one of your, one of you said one of your biggest clients is Procter & Gamble. Um, they have many different brands. Um, like how does that work? Like what, what would Procter and Gamble, what, like what particular brands would they want to license and, and work with you guys to, to put on and what retail products? Okay. So take a brand like Febreze. Okay. Febreze is a air refresher, right? You, do you have a Febreze in Australia? I'm not sure, but yeah, not sure. yeah Febreze is an air refresher. It's one of the most, it, it, it's one of the category leaders. Uh, in the United States, at least. Uh, and um, it, uh, so the, the equity of Febreze, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar brand. The equity of Febreze is that it doesn't just mask odor, but it eliminates odor. So, you know, people use Febreze, spray Febreze in their homes, and they hang Febreze in their cars. And, and, and so wherever you might have unpleasant odors, Febreze will eliminate those odors. So where can Febreze go? Where can they go in licensing? Well, they can go wherever you can find smelly products. So what we've done with Febreze is align them with um, trash bags. So you can buy trash, trash bags with Febreze. We've aligned them with kitty litter. Uh, so you can buy kitty litter with Febreze. So we've aligned Febreze with 
products that need their, their odor to be eliminated. And, and so that's a way for Procter & Gamble to extend the, the brand of Febreze. And, you know, as I said, it, it makes money for Procter & Gamble, but the money is really a rounding error to them. Really what they're doing is they're reaching out to consumers in different ways. They're communicating the marketing message of Febreze that it eliminates odor uh, through different products. So consumers are becoming more engaged with the brand by seeing products in different aisles of the store or in different stores entirely. So it's a way to reach consumers and touch them with the brand and extend the brand meaning and further bond consumers with the brand. And, you know, in today's marketing environment where companies are struggling so much to figure out how do we connect with consumers? I mean, traditional advertising is in decline. So how do brands connect with consumers today? And, and, and it's different for different generations. And licensing is actually, in my opinion, an analog tool in a digital age. Licensing is a way to invite a consumer to participate with the brand by buying a product and bringing it into their home. And it's a way to reach consumers in different ways, in different aisles of a store or in different stores or in different web pages and communicate the brand message to consumers. So it's, it's, it's a way of entangling a brand with consumers, which is what all brand owners want to do. Yeah. And I'm curious, like why, why would, for example, Febreze um, license their brand to another company that, that, that are looking essentially to, um, you know, produce their product for them. It may, might, might have white label, for example, um, trash bags, and they, you know, just license the brand. Well, why not just do it themselves? Why not just produce the product themselves? Well, usually companies like Procter & Gamble uh, in, in sort of the trash bag space or the kitty litter space, they don't really, they don't have the expertise to go into those product categories. There are major companies in those product categories already. Those companies know how to make those products, know how to sell those products, know how to market those products, and know the retailers where those products are sold. And so a company like P&G isn't necessarily going to start, start up a new business in the trash bag category or litter category, uh, in, in, which is a business that they don't know. It's a business that they don't know. It's outside their expertise. And so instead of doing it themselves and trying to compete with leaders in the category, other leaders in the category, they're, they're much better off licensing their name to those leaders in the category and letting them manufacture, market, and sell the products. Mm. Interesting. So, I mean, here's, here's another example, Bailey's Creme Liqueur. So I'm sure you have Bailey's in, in Australia. Yep. Uh, so it's owned by Diageo. And they want to communicate a message that Bailey's is not just a drink that you engage with at holiday time. It's not, they want Bailey's. They want the brand to be seen as just an indulgent treat used 365 days a year and at different parts of the day. So how can they do that? People aren't going to drink, you know, creme liqueur for breakfast, but they will drink coffee creamers, uh, with the Bailey's taste profile. So there's Bailey's coffee creamers, there's Bailey's 
chocolate cake. There's Bailey's chocolates. There's mm. Bailey's, uh, you know, there's all, there's a full range of Bailey's products, food products that can be used 365 days a year in different parts of the day. So Bailey's is able to communicate to consumers that we're more than just a liquor. We're, a, we're a, an indulgent treat that can be used throughout the year in different times of the day. And Bailey's doesn't want to go into those product categories themselves. Those aren't businesses that they want to start developing themselves. Uh, and so they use uh, you know, licensees to, to deliver that message for them and sell the products. Yeah, I see. So licensing, it's an interesting concept, something that we've never spoke about on the podcast. And I'm curious to hear if people are, you know, just getting started or maybe their brand's been going for a couple of years, like what, what can they learn from you, Michael, if, because their brand might not be at, at a level of fame that it could be licensed? Yeah, look, we get phone calls. We probably get 25 phone calls a week from people who say, you know, I've developed this brand and I think it should be licensed or I've developed these characters and, you know, I think they'd be great for greeting cards. And, you know, we get calls like that all the time and we always turn them down because it's just, you know, there's just so much room on retail shelves for product. It's not like retail shelves. I want to say retail shelves, I'm referring to web pages also. It's not like they're empty waiting for somebody to come along. The retail shelves are full. And so for one product to get on the shelf, another product has to come off the shelf. And so people who believe they have brands that are licensable, they have to make sure that a large enough, a large group of consumers know the brand. Uh, because when I say a large group, I'm talking about the majority of the country, uh, or certainly segments of, of consumers, you know, whether it's, you know, a large percentage of Gen Z or, or millennials. Uh, so you, you need to be licensing is going, is not going to make you famous. You need to be famous first and then start licensing your brand. A lot of people think that licensing is what's going to make their brand famous. That's not the way it works. Because don't forget, to be successful at licensing, we have to be able to go to another company and say to them, invest your money in this brand, make a product with this brand on it, and go out and sell it at retail and pay us a royalty. It has to be worthwhile for them. They have to feel like that brand is going to give them a real leg up in sales uh, and, and, and marketing in order to be successful. If you're not offering a manufacturer the opportunity to, to do well with the product because your brand is well known, then why would they invest the money in doing it? So it's that level of fame that you need in order to be successful, to even have a chance at licensing. Yeah, I see. And what if what if though like let's just say you had a a complementary uh product uh, or a complementary potential partner, would it be worth licensing the brand or just just do it yourself? Like let's just say for example, um so my girlfriend uh, she has a company and she sells water bottles. Um, okay. And uh 
it's doing quite well. It's a time-marked water bottle. It's great design. The company's called Healthish. So Health, I-S-H, Healthish. And let's just say um, she wanted, because, it, you know, um, the, the brand is, is, is strategically, you know, um, quite broad. So, you know, she wants to produce other health-based products. Let's just say she doesn't want to get into the business of, um, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, use the bottle to drink water and that's the purpose of it, but she doesn't want to get into, you know, doing uh, those little drops that you put in, in a, you know, in your, in your, in your water and it, and it turns into like, you know, um, vitamin C water and it turns orange. Let's just say she doesn't want to get into that. Is there merit to go out and license her brand to the co- a company that produces that? Or is it more from a retail perspective? No, there's, 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 there's merit in going out. If she doesn't want to produce those products herself, but she thinks they're complementary to her product and, and, and can be sold separately from her product, uh, then there's, and, and her, her brand, Healthish, is famous enough and people know it, then there's, then there's opportunity for her to license that brand name to a dropper company uh, to, make those, to make those droppers and sell them in packaging that is consistent with the Healthish brand and they can be sold separately from the water bottles and, or, or they could, you know, do a promotion where they're sold together with the water bottles or displayed together with the water bottles. So there's lots of opportunities to do that. Yeah. It all depends on whether or not Healthish is, is famous enough as a brand so that someone would be willing to pay your girlfriend to use that brand name because they feel they'll get a leg up in the category by using that brand name. And it's really a branding and distribution play and a volume play. Yes. So talk to me around the numbers. Like what, if you want to license your brand right now, wait, what, in what ballpark royalty would you be looking at? Well, it depends a little bit on the category. Um, you know, high margin categories have higher royalties and high royalties are in the, 12 to uh, 10 to 14 percent range that's of wholesale of wholesale sales those are high margin categories like t-shirts are a high margin category yes uh low low margin categories like food so if you're going to license your brand into ready to eat cereal also known as cold cereal uh if you're going to license your brand into ready to eat cereal the margins there are very low, and so your royalty is going to be in the one, two, or three percent range. But the volume is very high because people have to keep buying more of it, right? You buy a box of cereal, you use it, you got to go buy more. Uh, so the royalty rates are low, but the volume is high. So it, as I said, it depends on the category, you know. But in general, I would say royalty rates are between five and ten percent of wholesale sales. Yeah, I see. And it's it's very, very low risk because the the company that's licensing your brand is basically taking on all the risk. The company that's licensing the brand is taking on all of the sales and marketing and distribution risk. The product fails, it's gonna be their their risk. The risk that the brand owner has is, you know, to a certain extent. You've lost a little bit of control over your brand. 
no matter how hard you try to maintain control, and the brand owner has the right of approvals over everything, at the end of the day, somebody else, a third party is going out and marketing and selling that brand to retailers, and you, the brand owner, have lost a little bit of control. And so stuff can happen. You know, maybe, I noticed just today, a Disney a Disney uh, Toy Story product was recalled because uh, the eyes uh, have uh, the product has googly eyes and their uh, small children could potentially swallow them. And so they've recalled, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of these dolls. So, you know, there, there's a risk. There's a risk, a reputational risk. Uh, there's a risk that the product will fail and somehow damage the reputation of the of the brand. You know, if it's a celebrity, if it's a celebrity licensing program, there's, you know, all sorts of risks in terms of the celebrity's reputation and and, you know, how they act in public. Uh, So there's those kind of risks, contractual risks, reputational risks, things like that, that the brand owner has. But the financial risk is all on the licensee. Yeah, I see. So um, one thing I'm curious around, Michael, is. Like what makes a brand famous? Let's talk about that. Like everyone aspires to build a, a Coca-Cola, a Harley Davidson, um, you know, like a like like a brand that is famous. What what do you like you're you've been in this business for a long time. You've seen, you know, people come to you guys every day. You've seen it. Like what what do you think? Like how Anybody that's listening right now, what if they want to build like an incredible brand with with tremendous amounts of of brand equity in their in their industry or in the niche or the market they serve? What makes a brand? How, how do they? How do you stand out? Obviously, you know there is a long tail and there is a long game. But what can people be thinking about? What can they be doing right now to make sure that? Over time, their brand equity is compounding, that it, it eventually becomes famous enough that they'd want to work with you guys. Well, take it. That's a, that's a really good question. And uh, let me walk it back one step and say, oh, what is a, what is a brand to begin with? Uh, so, how, you know, how do you define a brand? Uh, so the way I define a brand is, is, is this way. If you took 10 people from your target audience and you ask them, what, what does this name mean to you? They should all pretty much say the same thing. So if I go out on the street and I ask 10 people, I want you to describe, I want you to give me the words that describe this brand. And if I ask them to do that for Coca-Cola, they're all, almost all of them are going to say, it's a drink, it's brown, it's fizzy, it's in a red and white can, or it's in a bottle. They're all going to say pretty much the same thing. And to me, that's what a brand is. When enough people think the same thing, think the same words uh, when you say the name of the brand to them. Uh, so... For people who are trying to establish a brand, they have to understand, they they have to define for themselves, what are the equities of the brand? What do they want? What do they want those words to be? No one knows who you are yet. Put the name of your brand on a piece of paper and what are the six words that describe that brand? And don't tell me things like 
trust and quality because every brand theoretically has trust and quality. That's what a brand is about. So and that's why people need brands, because they have trouble making buying decisions and brands help them make a buying decision because they can trust the brand and they know the brand has a certain level of quality. But if I was starting out and wanted to develop a brand, first thing I do, put the name on a piece of paper and pick the five or six or seven words that I want to describe my brand. And then everything I do, everything I do with that product, everything I do with the marketing, everything I do with the package packaging should hit those nails on the head every single time. Uh, and that's how you'll start building a brand. Then, of course, you got to have sales, right? You have to have lots of sales. But but know who you are and and stay true to who you want to be as a brand. Yeah. And I'm curious around a company like Supreme. I'm sure you're familiar with them, right? Yeah. So they put Supreme on anything. They could put Supreme and I think they have, don't quote me, but I think they put Supreme even on like a brick and sold it for, you know, a thousand bucks a brick. Okay. Like they can put their brand on anything and it is so cool. Like how did they develop that? And and, and are they doing these things themselves or they must be licensing deals. Like they like they team up with like, you know, phone cases and all like all sorts of crazy like products. But people love it. Like why? Like what is special about that? I'm curious to hear your take. Well, Supreme somehow established themselves as being very, very cool. Now, how long you can maintain that is another question because the more mainstream you become. And the more you sort of throw your brand out there on a million different things, the coolness factor starts deteriorating. Uh, so, but right now they're riding the wave of being very, very cool. They're not doing those, those product extensions through licensing. They're doing them either on their own or through some other type of partnership, but they're not doing it through licensing. Uh, so they have a lot of control over what's happening. And, uh, you know, right now, as I said, they're riding that wave of coolness, uh, but it is something that that can ultimately get overdone. And, you know, someone else comes along that now the cool brand. So we'll see. You know, there were cool brands of the past that are not so cool anymore, like FUBU. You know, FUBU was a really, really cool brand for a while. Uh, and, you know, then it sort of lost its coolness. Now they're trying to bring it back. Uh, but, you know, these cool brands come and go. That's it's I don't know. Uh, it's it's more a fad than a long term trend, I think. Hmm. Interesting. So talk to me around kind of I guess I'm going to get a bit selfish here. Like when I think of the founder brand. Um, I'm not sure how much you know about us, Michael, but we produce not only just audio podcasts or we, we produce content in anything you can imagine around entrepreneurship, whether it's written, whether it's audio, whether it's magazines, whether it's digital magazines, whether it's printed magazines, whether it's physical books, ebooks, online courses, um, you name it. And we don't, we don't, we, we try and stay fairly focused uh, around product, but we get a lot of people that contact us basically every week saying, hey, 
Um, I want to take the founder brand and create founder Spain, founder China, founder Africa, founder Nigeria. And I always push it back. Um, and I think it's an incredible opportunity for us to rapidly grow our brand. And is it is should, should this be considered a form of licensing or more of a partnership? You know, there's, some of the people that come out of the woodworks is crazy. And they say like, oh, hey, like I'm from China. We run like a very, very large, reputable company. Um, we're massive. Uh, you know, we, we'd love to take the founder brand and bring it to China, transfer your content into Chinese and and, and really go and interview, you know, all, all the top uh, entrepreneurs in China and we can really develop the brand from here. Um, I know I, I always thought it would be really cool to have the founder brand um, around some some physical products like a journal or, or some or stationery, you know, like if you're an entrepreneur, there's things that you need, right? And and yeah, so talk to me. What what are your thoughts there? What should I be thinking about? Is it too early? We've been going for about five six years. I don't think we've reached that level of fame yet, but still, a lot of people come to us. Like, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Look, you have a model that's working, right? You have a content model that's working uh, and that's, I assume, successful, right? You've done, what, over 250 podcasts. Uh, and so you could extend your brand into other countries and it could be done in a variety of different models. So you could do joint ventures, you could just do a, a part, some sort of partnership, but you could also do it through licensing. Um, you would be licensing the brand name, but you would have to, I mean, the, the challenge will be a, for you to do the due diligence on the companies that you want to partner with. Right. We all get, we all get calls by companies in China. It's like, how do we figure out if this is a good company or not? Yeah. Uh, it happens to us all the time too. Um, you could, so, but you can do it through licensing you, but you have to, you'd have to maintain a lot of control over how they're how they're collecting and disseminating and creating the content that they're doing under under your brand name that 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 will be the issue uh, maintaining control of what they're doing and the quality of what they're doing but it could certainly be done via a licensing model there's other models also licensing isn't the only model but it could be done through a licensing model and they would uh, pay you some percentage of their revenue. You know, I, I assume that you have a variety of revenue streams and each revenue stream might create a different royalty rate or there may be one overall royalty across all of the revenue streams or there may be an annual fee that they pay. So, you know, the, the financial model uh, would require some some research and evaluation, but certainly could be done through licensing, but you have to have something that you're offering them and you're offering them more than just the founder name. You're offering uh, them the methodology of doing this. You're going to teach them how to do this, how to replicate what you've done uh, in their country. So you're licensing, licensing much more than just your name. You're licensing sort of the secret sauce of, of how you do what you do. Mm. So you're saying you would be leading more towards a joint venture. Sounds like it. 
Yeah, you know, you're probably better off with a joint venture as long as you don't have to put up any money. Mm. I mean, I'm an, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always looking to put up my sweat equity instead of my money. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So talk to me around kind of like the celebrities that you've worked with because there's a lot of, you know, there's this rise of influencer marketing, right? They're, they're, every Everyone is, is wants to be an influencer now or a big proportion of, of people that have a company uh, are trying to build their personal brand and there's a lot of content creators. They're, they're, essentially in this day and age, because of the power of the internet, you could become a celebrity off the back of the internet and it, you don't have to be a famous musician. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be a musician and you don't have to be an actor to become famous now. Like you look at even entrepreneurs, they in the last 10 to 15 years have been glamorized. They have made entrepreneurship cool. Um, so this is all through the power of the internet. And this is something that you would be seeing now. I'm curious around like the celebrities that you've worked with. There's a lot of there is a lot of ways that celebrities can monetize their brand. If you look at the Kardashians, for example, um, there are companies like out there, like Teespring, like you talked about T-shirts. Like, for example, one of the um, you know most most famous uh, people on YouTube, uh, like he he, ha- he uses like a service like Teespring to to just put his merch on and 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 essentially in a way license his brand to get out people to go out and and promote him but yeah i'm curious to hear your take on that because you can use services like teespring to just print on demand whatever you want yeah i don't know teespring but but you know i'll divide this the answer into two parts there's traditional celebrities those are the celebrities that are musicians or motion picture stars or television stars, you know, those are traditional celebrities and they've been engaged in licensing for, you know, there's been licensing in, uh, among traditional celebrities for a very long time, uh, really a very long time. Um, I, I like to say that the first celebrity to license his name was Theodore Roosevelt, who was president of the United States in the early 1900s. He, he, uh, so this is a great story. Mm. Uh, do you know Theodore Roosevelt? You know Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah, early 1900s. So anyway, he was a great outdoorsman and hunter. And he was taken on a hunting trip uh, by the governor of Missouri, uh, in Missouri, I think. And they just couldn't find a bear. I mean, they couldn't find a bear for Teddy Roosevelt to shoot and kill. So they went out and found some old sick bear and dragged the bear, you know, to a tree, tied the bear to a tree and said to President Roosevelt, well, here's your bear. And Roosevelt said, I'm not shooting a sick bear tied to a tree. And some cartoonist at, at, at I think it was the New York Herald, picked up the story and did a cartoon of Teddy Roosevelt you know, aiming a gun at this sick bear tied to a tree and then refusing to shoot the bear. And it became very, very famous. And a toy company in New York got in touch with the president and asked for permission to use his name on a bear. And he gave his permission. And that became Teddy's Bear, uh, which ultimately morphed into the Teddy Bear. Now, 
I don't know if Theodore Roosevelt got paid for this or not, but he did give permission to the company to use his name on a doll. Uh, and I think that's the first instance of celebrity licensing that I know of. Um, but so celebrity licensing has been around for a long time, traditional celebrity licensing. But now, you know, we have other types of celebrities. We have digital celebrities. You know, you talked about influencers. We have digital celebrities and and they're starting to engage in licensing, too. You know, they can't be celebrities for 15 minutes. They have to have some staying power because it takes time to get product to market. So, you know, the digital celebrity space is just getting started, but we do have digital celebrities that are doing licensing. There's actually a kid named Ryan who is, believe it or not, eight years old, and he is an influencer. He talks about toys online, and he has a very, very large following. Mm, and yes. Among what is now known as the alpha generation under 10 years old. Uh, and he's coming out, they're coming out with a line of toys, Ryan's toys, you know? And so we're seeing influencers start doing licensing. I think Bethany Moda did, uh, you know, a big line of, uh, of health and beauty products. And so it's starting to happen now with influencers, certainly the ones that have staying power to be engaging in licensing. Same thing's happening in esports. I mean, here's a new, a whole new sport that has sort of exploded on the scene in the past several years. Uh, and now there are very famous esports players who are making millions of dollars a year in prize money and in endorsements and in sponsorships. And it hasn't really started yet, but we're gonna start seeing esports players, the stars, engaging in licensing, just like the stars of you know the more traditional sports. So the world of, the, the internet is creating a, a whole new cadre of celebrities that are and will be engaged in licensing. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. Um, well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Michael. Um, the last question I wanted to ask is just where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, well, the best place to find out about me and our work is certainly our website, www.beanstalk.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And of course, I mentioned before, uh, I wrote a book, The Power of Licensing, Harnessing Brand Equity, uh, which is available on Amazon. I write a lot for Forbes. So, uh, you know, I'm always online with uh, writing articles for Forbes. And you know, those are those are probably the best places to find out about me, about licensing, about Beanstalk. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, mate. It was a very, very interesting conversation and uh, congratulations on all of your success thus far. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. 
So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.